I'm Bobby Kolade. And I'm Nikisi Serimaga. Nikisi is a filmmaker. And Bobby's a fashion designer. We're both part of a generation of young Ugandans taking a critical look at our country. We have arrived. Clothing says a lot about who you are. Imagine what it can say about a nation. This is a podcast about our textile industry and the impact of secondhand clothes on it. Is secondhand clothing the aid it promised to be? Or is it a new frontier of colonialism and control in Africa? This is Vintage or Violence, brought to you by the resource of Open Minds, Hivosis Africa, and Rosemary and Ginger Productions. Amen. Bobby, I'm very excited for today's interview because in a strange way, it reminded me so much of conversations that I've had with my own family so many times around the dinner table lots of waraji being passed around and them starting to talk about the good old days and in their conversations about the good old days they always describe a kampala i literally cannot imagine one that i have no experience of because the kampala i live in today is just so different from the ground up <laughs> The nostalgia is so real. But you know, it's not only with their generation, it's also with us. I feel that nostalgia. And I remember as a teenager on Kampala Road, there used to be this boutique called Moa Designs. Now, for those who don't know, Kampala Road is our high street, it's our main street right in the middle of the city. And Moa Designs was in this building called UCB stands for Uganda Commercial Bank. And it was this beautiful concrete building. Doesn't exist anymore. They put some ugly metal cladding all over it. Anyways, um, the point is, Moa Designs was a beautiful shop. It was full of activity. And Moa Designs used to produce on an industrial scale. They used to make mass you know, fashion for large quantities of people. There were seamstresses. There was fabrics, tables, mannequins, clients coming in and out. And I remember fashion magazines, and they used to cut out pictures of models and put them all over the world. There was just this atmosphere of productivity that I loved so much. Our guest for this episode is actually one of the founding members of MOA Designs, Maureen Wavamuno. I'm so excited that we had an opportunity to talk to her. She is an incomparable businesswoman who has survived four decades of business in post-independence Uganda. You know, when I was young, as a teenager, I used to go to MOA Designs on Saturdays. Marine Designers started in 1977. 1977, 10 years before I was born. Mm-hmm. But it took me maybe a year and a half to get it together. I traveled, I bought sewing machines from Germany. I, I, I bought an industry because I felt like I, it was exciting. I was displayed, I was focused, I had the energy. And I thought, let me bring fashion. In Uganda, I had a dream that I'll be the number one fashion house in Kampala. And so it took me years to get organized, maybe less than two years, I would say. 
So I established in this place on First Street, industrial area, and opened up this factory. Also, you didn't want to design yourself. You wanted to create the I, I thought it to be a big thing. I okay. wanted to do uh, mass production. I had this feeling of uh, having seen Max and Spencer, that you come, you have sizes, different sizes, or hanging. If I'm 16, I buy 16. If I'm 10, I buy 10. This was the idea. It was my dream. So I thought to do all that, I needed more people. But I started the company, so I designed it myself. I was designing, and I had many tailors, both men and women, mainly ladies. So we started tailoring. We did that mass and mass production that I was dreaming about. This is incredible. I did not know that you actually produced clothes in a mass fashion. We did. We tried to sell to different towns. I would find people there with shops and try and introduce them to my things. And that's how I got a shop on UCB. That was an outlet. No! Yes. Are you serious? So you would be producing an industrial area on First Street mm -hmm. and selling in UCB? Yes. This is incredible. I had no idea. They put marine designers there, built it really well so that, uh, you know, it looked like an industry. My employees were very happy. We had a garden, we had a dining room, uh, an office for me, uh, a place where I met my clients. Because after, as I said, it was not in my time. It was ahead of the time and yeah. my mind. Can I just say, everything you're saying right now the way you describe your former factory or workplace, it sounds like you're describing my dream. Like, and it's, it's 2021, and everything you're saying, you know, with a garden, with a dining room, with an area to receive your clients, with an outlet, that sounds like what I'm trying to do. And how many years have passed? 14. Because mm, yeah. I remember I was quite young too. <laughs> <laughs> but I had this dream and nobody would stop me. Yes. What was inspiring you? I mean, there was no internet. Um, no, was there a lot of TV, radio? We didn't have internet. TV was local. We didn't have any foreign TV, but I traveled. You know, of course, when I'm in Uganda, I didn't even know there was a big fashion industry out there. But I traveled. I traveled quite young. And uh, that inspired me. I wanted to bring change. Wow. Because I saw when I went there, I saw makeup, I saw different styles, yes. I, um, trousers, yeah. high-risk miniskirts. That's me. Mm -hmm. I was wearing miniskirts. I would love to see a picture of you in a miniskirt. Um, you see many. But I think I was ahead of my time, that time of mass production. Uh, buying power was very low, which I, I didn't at that time think about, I thought, if I bring clothes, fabrics are beautiful, people will buy. That's how I thought I would, you know, I told you I was so excited. I wanted to be the number one fashion house. So yeah, it was an exciting time. I don't know how I did it, but I did. When you were talking about, a shop, you know, your factory on First Street, mm. I was thinking to myself, what did First Street used to look like? Because now industrial area, as you know, mm. 
it doesn't look quite as industrial as it used to look um or as i assume it used to look how can you describe the area for us what was it like first street uh, my neighbor was uh, uganda tea company they were making tea there opposite was bt the tobacco company then me marine designers opposite was a carpentry shop there was general machinery new vision in the corner if i remember correctly was they're, it yeah they're still industry. there yeah. yeah they're still there yeah mm. so and the climate there do you can you say that people were how should i put it generally building did you have the sensation that people were building a nation that they were hopeful that they were working towards a, a goal that people were working together yes i think we were all well i can say that about myself it was a new industry that i was in but i wanted it to grow to to be the same like the ones i had seen abroad so we we were all working the different it, it was like a new generation that time that were thinking of being manufacturers i had not seen that in the times of like my parents but when we grew up i saw that's what we were all trying to do many of my friends were starting things uh, sometimes really? i don't even remember where i am when i passed recently i couldn't see where marine designers used to be so you couldn't recognize the no. building it's not there it, it's probably it's there, not but there it's not purpose. there i don't know i couldn't figure it out That's terrible. Yeah. Things changed. And how many years were you doing that for? How uh, Marine designers went on for a long time. We had of course difficult times. There was a time of looting. Yeah. I lost everything. When you say you lost everything, you mean the whole everything, factory? Everything, the whole factory. They took all the machines. When do you mind my asking when that was? Oh. I'm not sure was it 1979 but I've lost my I lost Marine Designers twice 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 so the first time was the, the late 70s the first time 70s. they took all everything late 70s and I think the second time oh my god you know sometimes you want to block things from your mind the second time I was on Kibera Road where i had bought a place after and started the next one one day i went to work opened the gate and the factory was empty they had made a hole behind the walls a big hole and took everything out no yeah so i restarted and restarted yes you know when you talk about all these uh, things and this time i hear a certain fondness in your voice it sounds like you enjoyed yourself it sounds I like did. you you believed in something so strongly i did i did i did well it was a lucrative business i made money i can't deny that i well not many fashion designers in 2021 in kampala can say the same uh, unfortunately yes no you can't it's things have changed and of course in between came the second hand clothes yes so our business oh the tailors business everything was lost and so was mine 
If one can go to the down street and buy a blouse for, I don't know, 10,000? Even less. Even less. You, to make that blouse to the standard the designers or a, a, a business person knows, you cannot make ends meet. No. no. It's not possible. It's not. Try as you may. It's it just not can't possible. work. No. I, I really don't know how people will continue, but in my time, I made the money. I was happy. That Do you still know anybody who's making clothes? Now? Or making uniforms? Or in textiles? Mm -mm, no. I don't think that group I knew is still there. They must have closed. Of course, I worked with Eugil also. Eugil? Yes, Eugil was making the shirts from also Ugandan cotton. It was on that street. Oh, is this um, Phoenix? Phoenix. Phoenix is the very new name. It was called Ugil, Uganda Garment Textile Something Industry. See, I did know that. I've always known it as Phoenix. No, it was Eugil, and Mr. Kashuada was running it, who became a good friend of mine. I would go and buy things from them, from Eugil. Have you seen um, that building recently? No, since Phoenix, or since uh, Mr. Kashwada left, I don't think I've been there. Okay, it's pretty run down. Oh, what yeah. is it there? It now belongs to Fine Spinners, and it's um, almost derelict, some parts of it. Uh, it needs desperate renovation, and I believe they're now spinning some yarns there, but can you describe what that place was like? Because beautiful. You say beautiful. When I went there now, I saw that the, the wooden floors, they had wooden parquet all over the factory, and that's all been scraped out. And I saw a huge pile of rotting wood there. So, yeah, t take us through that, that space at Eugil. Eugil was an industry, a beautiful one. Everything was running systematically, you know, as you see people do this, do this. And I went, Mr. Kashwada would take me around. Everything was, you could see where they start, the bills of, of cotton start and knit and make the fabric. And then you go into where the shirts are being made. Everything it was basically a vertically integrated production system yes. from cotton to garments. Mm -hmm. And I saw that. I saw that and you see this is where you, you, you push to do even better. After visiting that factory, I knew I had to do better than that. Not in manufacturing, but in what I do. Yeah. You know, you, you, you are inspired you from from people like this. I, I I saw that factory run. Nobody was looking, talking, chatting. Everyone is focused on what they do. I saw this line of work. In Eugil. You know, right now I don't know what I'm feeling. I, f I feel sad at, at the same time because I've seen this space now and it's terrible. It's, I literally, I, I walked into, I had access to the offices mm. and you, you open the doors and everything is still where it was. Office desks, fans, dust bins, telephones, but with about half a centimeter of dust. It looks like people stood up ran out of the office and left. And since then, nothing has changed in the offices upstairs. So hearing you talk about this place as, as, as an example of fine manufacturing, mm -hmm. it's, it's actually sad. Well, I'm calling it nice because you said it was nice, but 
I couldn't assume it used to be nice just it, by it looking at the structure. It was better than nice. Yeah. It was uh, in Uganda that was so beautiful. I don't know what happened that I can't tell now. Do you think we'll ever get back to that stage? Everything is possible. And the young uh, designers, you, the group, the young people, we made our part. And somebody came and destroyed it. You have to start again. I do not see why not. I do not. You have to bring new changes. If you still feel, and from your comments, I, I, I feel like you feel the way I was feeling so many years ago. If you feel that way, you make the changes that last. It was a pleasant time. I, I, I was one of my happiest days of my life. That's so beautiful to hear. Mm. Uganda is beautiful. The weather is great. The greenery. The, you know, I would go abroad and I enjoyed that part too. But I wanted to come home. I can't think of a better way to end this interview than you telling us about how beautiful this country used to be and um, hopefully how beautiful we're going to make it. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. And one day I'd like you to be wearing something that I've made. It's our job. It's our job. This is what we're here for. Yes. Do it well. Do it with love and passion. And make these necessary changes that we need to make. What a woman. Incredible. It's incredible. If I think about a Ugandan woman, in 1970s, I wouldn't think about somebody who's a factory owner, who's creating jobs for nah. a whole bunch of people. Mm -hmm. Not a chance. And what's really beautiful about it, yes, she has privilege, yes, she has access, yes, she has resources, but she's really, she was really working to extend that to people beyond herself. And I think this is one of the things that really stuck, that stuck with me. But creating jobs. Really creating jobs, creating a nice working environment for right? people. Right, with the garden, <laughs> in the industrial area. <laughs> wow. really simple stuff. No, I love it. The problem I have, or the question I have is, okay, she did that 40 years ago. Great, wonderful. Her dream kind of manifested. She did mass production for some time. But like she said, because of the circumstances around her, she wasn't able to actually continue with the mass production that she intended to start, like that she really wanted to. And 40 years later, I'm watching you here in front of me. You have the same dream. How do you feel having heard this story? Oh, I don't know. I mean, 40 years is a long time. I'm not even 40 years old. <laughs> but after listening to her, I was hopeful somehow. Because remember, she mentioned that they didn't have access to the internet. There was no Instagram. Mm -hmm. There's no online shopping, access to global markets, information. You know, and she probably didn't have a Maureen Wavamuno to talk to the she way I do. So I am hopeful. I'm hopeful that this dream will come true. Yeah, but even if we have all the information, like our actual environment has changed. We have secondhand clothes flooding the place, and ah. you heard her. It killed her <laughs> own industry, her own shop. It's a valid point. Secondhand clothing, I mean, it's like somebody putting a lid on a jar. We literally can't come out of it. But, you know, there is potential to work with secondhand clothing as a resource okay. and to create skills, to build you know, these informal economies and make something out of them to add value 
to the products that are actually coming into the country and to upskill people along the way. So I think there is potential to, to work with what we have. So with your own journey and this notion of secondhand clothing, what kind of, I guess, what kind of ways are you having to be flexible? Well, you're right. We do need to be more flexible. We need to think of new models to make things work. So when I say I believe this dream will come true, it doesn't necessarily mean that we need to open big factories and get into mass market production. We can decentralize the idea, for example. We can set up smaller factories, cooperatives spread all over the country with their specialties and they produce for their communities. You know, that kind of thing. It doesn't have to be this huge factory idea that we've seen in Southeast Asia. And then another thing is, okay, secondhand markets, secondhand clothing markets, they exist. But they are fascinating, like the infrastructure within them, although they look very informal. There are things that are working there, the tailors that are active. Many there. people, right? many machines, yeah. many jobs. So it's all about improving their skills, adding value to what they're doing so that they're also earning some more money. If we learn to work with what we have and if we learn to let go of this idea that we need to reproduce what was done you know, in Europe or in Asia. Copied and pasted. We can't do that copy-paste shit no more. <laughs> the time is over. Yeah. And it doesn't work. It doesn't no. reflect where no. we actually live. Let's do it the Ugandan way. Amen. Amen. It's a very loaded, loaded journey. No, I, re I really like that. And I think that maybe even more creating structures that stand and stick this flexibility question, will you be able to respond to the situation at hand? Yeah, and, and also, you know, talking about secondhand clothes and the secondhand clothing market, it's an informal structure. People almost look down to it. But what we need to realize is that there's a lot of knowledge already within these structures. Mm -hmm. We just need to tap into them. We need to support them and we need to give them more money. Mm -hmm. You know, they need to make a living, a good living of that informal sector. I completely agree. And I think looking at how things have changed, you're talking about secondhand clothes. Maureen Wavamuno is talking about, you know, cotton industry. I'm really looking forward to our next episode where we're interviewing somebody who's worked in Ugandan textiles his whole life. Professor Wanyama, a doctor, if you will, who's been working in textiles in Uganda for decades, in academia and policymaking and more, and is going to be able to tell us exactly what went down. So we went from being people who consumed 85% of our own cotton to buying 80% of our clothing secondhand. You can follow us and leave your comments at Secondhand Violence on all platforms. This is Vintage or Violence.